Hello and welcome to Splatter Chatter, where October never dies. I am Mr. Craigers, and I am one of your hosts. And I'm Miss Melmoy. I am your other host. She sure is. And you are right now listening to episode 93, um, where we will be singing the very merry praises of the Christmas zombie horror musical film, Anna and the Apocalypse. Uh, directed by John McPhail, starring Ella Hunt, Malcolm Cumming, and Paul Kay. Because it's that time of year, folks. It is. And, you know, it's funny because I was, I don't know why it came back on my radar, but I was like, oh yeah, I think this was a Christmas movie. Like just remembering it. Um, And I was like, I, I somehow did not see it. Yeah. And... I was thrilled because when you texted me about this as an option, because ever since this came out, this has been like a new staple for me and I love the music, but I also recognize that like, I could quickly become one of those people who wouldn't shut up about this movie. So I wasn't going to say anything about it, but then you said something about it. And so that was just a Christmas miracle. <laughs> and, and the angel said, I bring you. Yeah. Wait, I fucked this up earlier. I was saying this as a joke or something else. And I was like, is it good tidings of great joy or great tidings of good joy? I think it's good tidings of great joy. I think it's good tidings of great joy. Anyway. Um, no, I'm, it's impressive that you haven't, because I was thinking, I was like, why has Craig never like played this music? And then I was like, well, hey, we haven't, you know, there was a year and a half period where we didn't see each other and then when we do see each other it's usually not around christmas right and so it would be weird yeah Yeah. but um yeah we're gonna dig into this um festive little gem it's very much like a sort of like little movie that could i feel like Mm -hmm. um and it'll be a fun time but um let's do a quick read watch and listen check-in have you been doing any other christmas horror um this season or um any horror in general or are you just kind of like doing non-horror holiday things um it's interesting as i was talking talking i was thinking about this earlier um you know because freeform has their 31 days of halloween and they got the 25 days of christmas and I'm always jazzed for 31 days of Halloween. But like, as much as I enjoy watching the Christmas movies I like to watch, like, I can't, I'm not somebody who can sit down and be like, yes, I'm going to watch a Christmas movie now. Unless it's The Grinch. Ugh. Or like Krampus. Hey. Um, and a few others. Although when I was at my mom's for Thanksgiving, they had the Hallmark channel on the whole time. And I got like, weirdly trash into like the like setup and formula for these movies I was, like, I was like okay so which one's the publishing professional and which one's the former <laughs> um but i know i've been thinking that I, I need to watch krampus um which i meant to do a couple weeks ago for you know like krampus knocked and all that but yeah time is a flat circle and sometimes it whizzes by um but um, yeah, in terms of horror, I haven't been, I've, the, the closest thing I have is I recently read, and <clears throat> it gets shelved as horror, but I think of it more as like a 
sort of gothic um story with some like very creepy undertones which was um these bones by kayla chanel um, oh okay yeah yeah it, it's like an archival part archival part prose novel um about like a fictional um like deep south um town <clears throat> and like the various denizens in that and one of them is this like seemingly immortal sort of like underworld kingpin type character who like is kind of um portrayed very like as sort of like the boogeyman to a lot of people so it was pretty interesting um but no i've been looking a lot ahead to stuff coming out next year and i keep meaning to watch um last night in soho now that it is available on streaming yeah me too i haven't gotten around to that one yet um I did see the advent calendar mm-hmm. on Shutter um, about a evil advent calendar, basically. Okay. I have a baby Yoda advent calendar. Oh, <laughs> that's adorable. Yeah. He gives me chocolates every day. He gives you little chocolates. Well, this one from the movie gave chocolates too, but they came with a price. Oh, so it's like monkey's paw advent calendar. Yeah, very much so. Um, it was it was it was decent though. I was like, ah, they can be able to sustain this premise like for twenty five days. <laughs> yeah, but they made it work. Um, Interesting. So I'd give that a, a watch if you have the time. Um, uh, also, I just started watching um, this new Dutch Christmas horror show on Netflix called Elves. Ooh. Um, yeah, which is about like. Um, this family that goes away to spend Christmas vacation on this like isolated, um, really tiny island um, off the coast of the Netherlands. And um, there's this like creepy gate like around the middle of the island. No one's supposed to go into the woods. And we find out it's because there are elves in there and they're not the nice kind. And they're not the hot middle earth elves. <laughs> yeah. Legolas son of Thrandwin. Um, that does remind me, though, I did recently rewatch the uh, the one Bob's Burgers Christmas episode that's like dual with the uh, candy. <laughs> the candy. That's a little creepy sometimes. It's a little creepy sometimes. Um, and um, they there they have another creepy Christmas one with the Bleakin. Yeah, I did also watch the Bleakin parts one and two. Parts one and um, two, yeah. That's like, really wishing I could go to that really sick-looking Christmas party. Oh, dude, that rave. Yeah. Um. Yeah. 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 Tis the season. I I'm hoping. I mean, as of this recording, there's only a week till Christmas. I'd like to get in a viewing of Krampus and and Black Christmas, but we'll see. Oh yeah, Black Christmas is always a. I mean, that's one that I can watch any time of year. Yeah, but it's always fun to to do it around yeah. the time. Around the time, around the time. Um, yeah, those are two staples for me, and uh, so is the topic of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> staple since twenty seventeen for you. Then the, the newest staple. Um, so let's dive into our main discussion about Anna and the Apocalypse. But first, let's take a listen to the trailer. 'Twas the night before Christmas, 
And all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. Young Anna was nestled, all snug in her bed, not knowing tomorrow she'd meet the undead. How would she survive? What this season would bring? Well, that's simple. She'd stab, she'd slash, and she'd sing. Justin Bieber's a zombie. on this kind of a little bit um in our opening remarks uh when did you first see this film and what were your impressions this past week (laughs) (laughs) i um it's it's so funny because i was like okay it's christmas it's zombies it's a musical and like you know i'm watching it and you know it takes a minute for the musical bit to start um which we actually have, I think, later, like in the production notes, like that wasn't necessarily on purpose. Um, but um, yeah, because you've got that whole scene in the car in the beginning. And then once they started, like I heard the, like, the, the music come on for the first song, I was like, oh, right, it's a musical. <laughs> yeah. um, but no, I mean, it's, it's catchy songs. Like they're not incredibly, you know, like geniusly written, but I don't need them to be. No, yeah. But they're um, like, I don't know they're, they're not like pat either you know no like, they're they're fun they're great i think you know i i enjoyed all like obviously i went to go listen to the soundtrack after yeah um i finished watching this but no i enjoyed it i thought it was a delightful little and you know me like i am not a huge fan of zombie stuff um, right so i was like oh yeah zombie movie but um no i uh i had a i had a grand old time a grand old time yeah um yeah absolutely yeah and like i said i saw this i guess 2018 Mm -hmm. um i had heard about it i think like before the christmas season and i was like well let me wait until it's like more seasonally appropriate and then i checked it out i think shortly after thanksgiving and i was like this is awesome this is cute (laughs) this is fun it's catchy. Um, the characters were like really all really likable, um, which I thought was a nice change from sort of just like, you know, cardboard archetypes getting, you know, thrown to the zombies willy nilly. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, and so yeah, it was like the soundtrack is a regular wintertime listen for me now. And yeah, it's a it's a good little gem. Yeah. Um, so let's, I guess, talk a little bit about like, how did this movie even come about? Do you want to, um, 
tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So it's actually, this had a really interesting history um, when I, you know, started diving into it after having watched it. Um, Mm -hmm. But um, it started as a, a lot of good horror recently, and by recently, I mean like the past 10, 15 years has as a short film. Um, which was conceived by uh, writer, co-writer Ryan McHenry, who um, was studying at the Edinburgh College of Art in 2009 and had this idea for a zombie musical set in high school, um, kind of like a a zombie film meets high school musical. Um, So he filmed it at uh, Dumfries High School with some friends, and it actually got a fair amount of attention and accolades. it was nominated uh, for two uh, British Academy Scotland New Talent Awards. Um, it, atta- it attracted the attention of production companies from that. I think it was also nominated for a BAFTA, but I couldn't find which one that was. Um, but basically Black Camel, which is a fun name, <laughs> uh, which is a Scottish uh, production company, uh, wanted to turn it into a feature film. Uh, and hired McHenry back on to write, um, and uh, Nyson L.A. Carew to direct, produce, um, and then co-writer Alan McDonald. Um, and this was all shortly after the 2009 uh, film. However, unfortunately, uh, Ryan McHenry would never get to see his, um, as you put it, his little film that could Uh, as a feature-length film. In 2013, he was diagnosed with a form of bone cancer, um, which he ultimately passed away from in 2015. Um, So obviously the film is dedicated to his memory. Um, But um, yeah, I mean, it's always always a huge bummer when you hear stories like that um, about artists kind of not getting to see the full impact and legacy of their work, but um, they continued on. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about the sort of new iteration? Yeah, so um, right around the time, I think that McHenry passed away um, as the feature was developing, uh, it was retitled to its existing title, uh, Anne and the Apocalypse. Um, I think there was like a little bit of downtime after his passing, obviously, to sort of like um, have a respectful period of mourning. And then um, the following year, John McPhail came on as the new director of the film. And he talked about being kind of hesitant to come onto the project, given how long like McDonald and um, Ali Caro had been working on the project, essentially like since 2009. Um, But you know, he was welcomed with open arms by like everybody on production and sort of was like, okay, cool. I'm into this. Like, let's make this happen. Um, The first draft of the feature link film was apparently quite darker and a bit more cynical. Um, And uh, McDonald, I guess, has talked about um, this being a byproduct of his grief and um, processing the death of his friend, um, McHenry. But of course there were rewrites and there were subsequent drafts to get it um, to its final iteration. And that sort of helped him like rediscover the joy of the project um, as he worked through all of that. 
And as we can imagine, um, various musicals um, were alluded to and nodded to and um, used for inspiration like West Side Story and Rocky Horror Picture Show. Um, also the musical episode Once More with Feeling from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Have you ever seen that episode? I have. Okay. I Yeah, I've not. I've not watched Buffy start to finish. Yeah, because you've um, seen, you watched the body in a... That's the silent house. one? Yeah. Uh, no, the yeah. silent one is Hush. The body is the one where, spoilers. Her mom? Her mom, yeah. <laughs> okay. I think, I, I have seen that. I've seen those three. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. Those are like the three that people... Well, yeah, the my college boyfriend was like really into Buffy and mm-hmm. he was like, these are these three that you must watch. And I was like, okay. That's wild to just pull those out of context. Anyway, point is, yeah. I just wanted to make sure you had seen the musical episode. Continue. I've seen that one. I quite liked it. Um, yeah. And that, so that was some inspiration. Um, the writers also look to like, um, you know, popular teen um, sort of centered movies like the breakfast club, um, the happiness of um, Kajakuris was an inspiration. And then, of course, there's also lots of nods and pulls to um, some of the greatest zombie films of um, all time, like Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Evil Dead, and Shaun of the Dead. Um, <laughs> interestingly, though, uh, costumes were pulled and designed and inspired by uh, Sleepaway Camp's a- aesthetic. Which is particularly necessarily... crop tops and the short shorts. <laughs> right. And that's not necessarily like an obscure reference, but among like mainstream, that's like one of the more like higher, like if you were, if this were Jeopardy, that would be a definitely a little higher number. Definitely. Um, and I was just like, oh, that is kind of, yeah it's like it's not quite like deep cut but it's not like it's yeah random is what it is it's definitely random because <laughs> they you know like you get it like okay musicals teen movies zombie movies and then it's like this random not even like i would think one of the top five slashers people would think of. <laughs> yeah would be like we like their costumes yeah it's sort of like you know, when they do like the iceberg of horror, mm-hmm. like I feel like Sleepaway Camp is definitely under the water. Yeah. yeah. It's one I really have not like given much, you know, the compared to the amount of times I've seen Halloween or Friday right. the 13th um, or even like the, the like prom. Yeah. Prom night. Um, but yeah, I thought that was a funny little gem. And then I thought about it. I was like, oh, I guess that makes sense. But like, I was also like trying to think, I was like, weren't there like more like sort of British boarding school film that they could have pulled from? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But so, maybe we but don't have hey, our slashers there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and so, and then the score and the soundtrack uh, were composed by Roddy Hart and Tommy Riley. Um, if you listen to the cast recording, um, you'll find 13 tracks that was released November 23rd of 2018. Um, two songs were cut from the final production, um, and are not available on the cast recording. That's which side are you on? Which, um, was a song between Savage and Tony, uh, Anna's father. 
um, which is available on the vinyl release of the soundtrack. And then uh, Some Things Will Never Change, which you can listen to in the bonus features on the Blu-ray. I haven't listened to, you know, the either of the bonus songs, but I see, you know, reading the title, Some Things Never Cha- Will Never Change. I just think of that song in Frozen 2. Mm-hmm. Some things never, never change. <laughs> and I hold on tight to you. Yeah. Before <laughs> Elsa wakes everybody up with her midnight right, screaming. Like, it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Where everyone's like, we are trying. <laughs> I'm sorry. It is two in the morning. <laughs> and some of us have to get up and work tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> that would yeah. be a good podcast topic is like, let me just roast first. <laughs> oh my God. That would be a lot of fun. Like a mini podcast where it's just like everything wrong with Frozen. <laughs> everything wrong with Frozen start to finish. <laughs> Anyway, I do have a lot though in there. Weirdly, like that's one of those movies where I'm like, I will pick apart the, I'm like, I don't care about this logic entangled, but for some reason in Frozen, it matters to me. <laughs> it matters. It bothers me. Ah, but I still love it. I do love it. Anyway. And so, yeah. Um, I guess, do you want to talk a little bit about the um, production of the film itself, maybe? Yeah, so there wasn't a ton out there about the production Mm -hmm. seemed to go pretty smoothly. It was a fairly short production. It was a little over a month, Um, but it was uh, produced by Black Camel, Blazing Griffin Pictures, Parkhouse Pictures, and Creative Scotland, as, you know, most indie films get a million backers. Yeah. Um, And then Vertigo releasing handled the display distribution i don't know is that a scottish company i've never heard of i had not heard of them either i'm assuming that they're uk based at the very least yeah Um, so fun got all the because i because i believe someone else acquired north american distribution yeah um so that's fun it's crossing crossing your t's down your eyes um but principal photography uh took place this is always what's funny to me. It seems like every single Christmas movie films just after Christmas, and it sounds so depressing. <laughs> I know, right? Because um, what was the what was the name of the the queer Christmas film that came out in twenty twenty? Um, Happiest Season. Yeah, that filmed like I looked that up. That filmed in like February, right before COVID. Yeah, happened, and I was like, that sounds so depressing to film a Christmas thing right after Christmas. Right, when but, everyone's um, so bummed that it's over. Yeah. yeah. Um, but this uh, filmed from January sixteenth to uh, February twenty second, and twenty seventeen. I'm gonna butcher the name of the Scottish stuff. I could pronounce it right, but it could also have a secret W or something in there. I don't know. <laughs> right. But um, it was filmed in and around uh, Glasgow, specifically in Inverclyde. That sounds right to me. Yeah, that looks right. I mean, I don't know. We speak the same language, but... If we have any Scottish listeners, feel free to yell at us. Yeah, but um, interestingly, interestingly, despite the fact that it was obviously winter when they filmed, they had to use fake snow. Um, Whether I don't know what the weather patterns are like in Glasgow. I assume they have a similar sort of heat island effect that we have here in our cities. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't, I'm not sure what would be a normal weather for them at that time of year. 
Yeah. Um, but I did see this and I'm not sure which one I saw, but there are three distinct cuts of the film. Um, yeah. So the first one is the U.S. cut, which is 93 minutes. Uh, the international cut is 98 minutes. And then the festival cut is 108 minutes. I think the festival cut includes the cut songs. Yeah. Um, I have a feeling that's the director's cut too. Yeah. I'm not sure what the difference is between the U.S. cut and the international cut. I, th- I mean, I watched it on Amazon, so I have no idea. which one. I could go back and look and see how long it was, but um, I'm not sure which one I saw. I think, well, the very, the, the very first time I saw it, it was streaming on Hulu. Mm-hmm. And then I watched it for this recording on Canopy. So I'm guessing it was the U.S. Yeah. I didn't, my my I didn't, assumption would be either U.S. or international. Yeah. And I didn't, the like, the second viewing and stuff or whatever, I didn't notice, like, anything. I was like, oh, that wasn't in the other one. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, so I'm assuming it was the same cut. Yeah. Um. So main filming for like the high school took place at a high school called St. Stephen's, uh, which unfortunately was demolished in 2019. So for anyone Yeah, I saw that note that you put in there. That was so sad. Yeah. So for anyone who likes to like visit, you know, those places and take those fun pictures, you can't do that. Um, Can't do that. They demolished school. Um, It looked like a cute little school. Yeah. No, it looked fine. Um, the only sort of interesting note I could see uh, when hunting around for some production things was, um, you know, I mentioned earlier that it takes a minute for it to sort of get into the musical aspect, and it originally wanted to open with a song, kind of like, you know, all musicals kind of have their big ensemble opening number, and they had planned on a version of um, What a Time to Be Alive mm. uh, as the opening with... You know like the entire cast and then you would have an ensemble of various people who would later become zombies um yeah and uh they ended up cutting that because the weather was just not cooperating with them so they instead went to the scene in the car with uh anna and her dad and uh her best friend and yeah and wasn't like that was where we were supposed to meet like um like the zombie Santa was going to be in that opening. Yeah, yeah, there was going like, to be a zombie Santa that was like people were like I think razzing because they thought he was drunk or something like that. Yeah, yeah, that would I mean that would have been cute, but I th- think the film still works more or less. The only I, thing is like you were saying like because you don't have the opening number when they do do like the first real song, which I believe is Breakaway. Mm-hmm. Um. It is kind of like, oh, oh, right. I signed up for a musical. Right. And once you're past that sort of bump, then you're fine. I did it really like the um, the car scene, though, because I think, you know, for something that's like not just a genre movie, but like five different genres, like really setting up like character specific, totally. you know, relationships and stakes uh, is like a huge boon for this movie. So I think... Um, that opening scene was very effective for that. And if I had to pick, I would prefer that than like, you know, I can just be like, right, this is a musical versus um, right. it's harder for me to suddenly believe in, um, you know, characterization of relationships and that sort of thing. Right. And we're also anticipating that there's going to be a zombie sort of type thing. So we don't really need an introduction of like, you know, the first infected person 
or something. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And we get like the little snippet on the radio, I think, like some, yeah. says, which they're so cavalier about. Like the CDC notes the, well, not the CDC. It's like the, this. although weirdly, I know because this time I clocked it, I do think they say the CDC. So either they're saying it in terms of like the US CDC is saying it. Or there is also a British CDC. Or there's CDC. a British CDC. <laughs> and or, I apologize. And the US, or a third option is the US version put CDC. Oh, yeah. That, that could very well be. Um, point but is, is it, like there's some note on the radio and they turn it off and I'm just like, oh my God, flashbacks. <laughs> yes. Seriously. I heard the word pandemic and I was like, eh, eh, eh. <laughs> <laughs> But um, yeah, but yeah, so... So maybe let's, you know, we don't do this every time we cover a film, but sometimes we do. Um, and since, you know, they're, they're on a ton of production notes for this film, maybe we will quickly walk through the plot. Um, so yeah, um, we start in the, in, um, the car. Um, on our way to school, we meet uh, Anna Shepard. Um, she's a senior in her little town's high school. Um, she's being driven to school by her, um, single father, Tony, and they're also giving a ride to her best friend, John. Um, and, uh, some stuff comes up in this car scene that like Ms. Mel was saying, establishes character in sort of the beginnings of our, um, we can start getting a sense of relationships and we start getting a sense of conflict, particularly what comes to light is that Anna is planning on taking a gap year after graduation, which goes counter to her father's um, goal for her, which is to go straight to university. Um, and we also learn in this scene that, oh no, maybe it's not in this scene. Do we learn about John's feelings for Anna? I think it's kind of hinted in this scene, but it's not really like, um, like there's this sense that there's something he's hiding in the scene. Cause honestly, the first time I thought I was like, oh, is he secretly gay? Is that it? Um, Same. I, but um, like, it, it doesn't come out until like breakaway, I think is where he actually like kind of is explicit about it, but you kind of get the sense um, in this scene that he's he's got something going on with something. him and Anna yeah 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 and so there's a little bit of conflict there and then um you know we get to the school it turns out Tony is the janitor at the school um and we start meeting a couple of our other supporting characters and learning about what's going on in their lives um there we've got um Chris and his girlfriend Lisa who are sort of like best friends, like in the same clique as Anna and John. Um, Chris is a budding filmmaker and um, he is um, not getting in trouble, but like his latest assignment is sort of like not particularly deep and his mm -hmm. teacher wants him to create something that has a bit more meaning behind it. And Lisa, meanwhile, is headlining the Christmas talent show and is all very stressed about that. Uh, who else do we meet? Oh, we also meet Steph. Um, so <laughs> this happens to me sometimes. This happened to me in the most recent season of Sex Education, too, 
not sex education too. Sex education T O O. Oh, oh, I got you. As well, third season. I thought, sex you, education. I thought you meant season two. No, I'll explain. I'll explain what I'm talking about. So, watching content where there are British actors, Scottish actors, what have you, somebody who's speaking English in an accent like that. Yeah. I don't always clock when somebody's American because I honestly feel like it's some version of like when you don't pick up that somebody like you know when the people are like bilingual fluently and they don't always pick yeah. up that somebody switch languages I think there's something with that with accents in, I, in the same language yes when because, everyone's surrounding you know yeah. The per- yeah like it did not even this because there's an American character in um those most recent season of sex education that halfway through the season, I was like, Oh fuck, they don't have an accent. (laughs) (laughs) Or I guess they do. They have a, you know, an American accent. And I did that here where I was halfway through the movie. I was like, Oh, Steph's American. (sighs) Well, props to you because I didn't catch it until this time around. Mm -hmm. I did not, I didn't remember her being American the first, I don't think I picked up on that. It just didn't click for me because I was having that sort of experience that you were describing. And Mm -hmm. I, for whatever reason, my brain was just like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Well, you're just so like, you're used to the accents. They're speaking English. So you're like, I'm into it. And then somebody comes in speaking in your accent that, you know, you don't recognize as an accent. So you're just like, yeah, whatever. It's like, I want to read studies on this. That's that's the default anyway. And yeah. honestly, I think I, I got it this time because there's someone says a line about her, her having moved there or th- th- there's a line of actual dialogue that, that like I think it comes up later exchange student or whatever that she's a new student from. The- like, is it a little bit later? I, I feel like it is because at that point I was like looking for information. I was like is this person American? Like, I need this person to speak more so I can, like, figure this out. Yeah, And I think her and Anna later in the film have a conversation about it where, like, she mentions something about, like, coming here or something. Like, it's very vague. Like, they don't... Yeah. I remember that, yeah. Yeah, because we're not sure, like, if it's an exchange program or it's, like, because her parents moved here. Um, When we do meet Steph, we get the sense that um, her parents maybe are sort of, like, very globetrotty because Mm -hmm. they are spending Christmas in Mexico without her. Um, Which, (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah, and I guess we should say that it is, I believe when the film starts, it's three days before Christmas. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah. And so Steph is organizing a um, present drive, I think, for like the local homeless shelter. It's mm-hmm. something about that. She's very social justice oriented. She's the editor in chief of the school newspaper, um, but is coming into conflict conflict with the vice principal, uh, Mr. Arthur Savage, who's very sort of controlling. Savage and um rules bound and oriented and he is you know he's striking her her editorial from the new issue and he confiscates her car keys because she's parking on school property this which is, is apparently so is, not allowed this is what i don't understand and this is something again because sex education takes place also in a british secondary school i don't know if this is something that happens there <laughs> But does like, that happen just, in sex education? 
Well, so they take, there's this whole sequence where people get their phones taken away and like their phones are taken, like they, they don't even, they don't get them at the end of the day. Like they're just like taken. Yeah. Like the the school takes them for like a week and it's just, it's accepted as like, oh yeah, like the principal has my phone or whatever. So I don't know if that's like a thing over there where they're just allowed to sort of take personal property. Um, and I do think it's funny that the American character gets dinged for parking on school property because, like, that's, you know. Yeah. That's what we do. But it's, like, it's like, but she goes to the school. She's a student. Why, you know? Yeah. So I don't, I, I'd be interested if somebody knows, like, if somebody who's actually, you know, we have a friend we can ask about, I guess. Um, that's true. We'll have to ask a friend of the show and British citizen, Rachel. Yeah, <laughs> like what the deal is with secondary schools taking your shit <laughs> taking your shit maybe she can illuminate that for us um but yeah and then the other um, main supporting character we meet at this point is nick um nick we get the sense is maybe like a jock type maybe he's kind of a bro he's got like his little posse around him they are not particularly nice to john um but there is some sort of weird dynamic going on between nick and anna um he's clearly interested her but like flirting with her and that sort of like douchey Mm -hmm. way and she's She's like, like reluctantly into it kind of yeah like, she has like, like chemistry yeah there's something there there's a presentation that she's not impressed with him or that she finds him childish but there's also some like dialogue that indicates that like does she though or like yeah. plus know. he's like stupidly handsome so yeah he is very handsome um and so yeah and so we have all of these characters and we're learning about all of these conflicts and um it's when we get our first song, Breakaway, where um, most of the cast, well, I, I guess it, I guess it's mostly Steph, Anna, and John who are singing about the desire to leave. Yeah, because we get the pretty much the whole cast, or at least the whole teenager cast for the next one. Yeah, which happens relatively soon thereafter, and that's the song Hollywood Ending which is about the larger sort of sense of dissatisfaction and entrapment that the young people of this community feel. Um, And we learn about some of the dynamics through all of that. The school is putting on like a winter Christmas talent show type thing Mm -hmm. um, that Lisa is gonna be performing a song in and she's very excited for her Chris to be there. But Chris, it turns out, you know, he has to, you know, complete this assignment for his film class that has a bit more depth to it. So he ends up agreeing to go film the um, gift exchange thing at the homeless shelter with Steph Mm -hmm. and hopefully make it back for the talent show, which is that night. Um, And then uh, we cut to after school. Uh, with Anna and John, where they, at their jobs, or Anna's job, I don't think John works there. No, I think he's just visiting her. Yeah. Anna's after-school job at the bowling alley. Um, and they're just sort of, like, goofing around and hanging out, and then the, the Christmas show goes down. Lisa performs um, 
her raunchy Christmas song. Her very raunchy Christmas song. I'm trying to think of the name of it. Um, it's that time of year. Yeah. With uh, some shirtless Santa some, backup uh, dancers. What do they call them? The uh, what's the the male strippers in Los Chippendales? Vegas? Chippendales. Some <laughs> yeah. Santa Chippendales. Some Santa Chippendales. A hundred percent. And um, but the the real key thing about that scene in particular is that. Um, Mr. Savage um, is patrolling the school uh, during the talent show and hears banging on a door and assumes it's kids messing around and it's sort of this very sort of like foreboding scene where he opens the door and we don't see what he sees if he sees anything Um, and then you know, we've got Anna and John at the bowling alley and they're sort of just like hanging out and talking about post-graduation plans and then nothing else really happens until the next morning. <laughs> and what goes down then? So uh, fans of Shaun of the Dead will like sort of recognize this little sequence. <laughs> yeah. Um, where Anna and John are leaving for school. They've got like their headphones in, whatever, and they're walking and there's just zombies everywhere <laughs> and uh, they're not clocking it at all. Um, which, you know, it was effective in Shaun of the Dead. It's still fun here. It is. Um, so they, you know, they're growing about their business. Eventually they do come into contact with a zombie um, and end up having to sort of uh, have a sort of conflict with a Santa Claus-esque, uh, what I assume is a mall Santa that turned into a zombie. And they realize, oh, something's going on. Um, at the school, um, we kind of have like a sort of, um, you know, there's there's something about an evacuation, like the army's coming. Yeah. There's like some sort of like health, um, you know, emergency, kind of the stuff that we'll, you know, somewhat remember from COVID. Um, we don't, the army never, I don't know, we didn't get the army. Where was. Yeah. The army was not a thing there. Um, probably for, you know, that's a good thing. But um, anyway, they've kind of like gathered together in the school as sort of like a, um, like a emergency shelter situation. Um, and like, they're very split up. So it's like Mr. Savage, um, Tony, Anna's father, Chris's grandmother, who was at the talent show, very excited to be at the talent show, is like yeah. a tiny little plot point um, to meet Lisa. I don't know if it's like meeting her for the first time or seeing her show or whatever, but Chris's grandmother is there and Lisa is there. So like all the adults and Lisa are there and then, you know, everyone else is not there. Um, yeah. I found out where they are eventually. Um, but, um, you know, Lisa is... Well, so Lisa's nervous about Chris's grandmother because she has a heart condition um, and she's kind of trying to get, you know, Mr. Savage to do something about it. And he's like taking a very callous approach of like, you know, this is about survival and she's old and weak and that sort of thing. Tony is trying to, you know, persuade uh, the principal to like, um, you know, let more people in, go out and look for survivors, you know, unlock the doors. Mm -hmm. Um, But they nothing really comes of this because they can't really come to a, a consensus and like the military shows up. Um, so 
they're just kind of like all hold up together in like what I guess kind of it looks it's the cafeteria or something like that or like a I think it's room. the cafeteria yeah um so it's like basically Lisa and all the adults in one section um <clears throat> Anna and John who you know are out and about um decide to head back to the bowling alley uh to sort of like take shelter and figure out what's going on and there uh they come across uh chris and steph who have also <laughs> taken shelter in the bowling alley <laughs> um you know and they kind of you know regroup they kind of talk about what's going on um you know they they're like okay well the army's coming you know, all that other stuff, they're going to wait it out and try and get to the school, um, you know, once they figure out what's going on. Um, but <laughs> I don't know if she was like Anna's boss or just like a mean coworker, but like the cleaner lady from the oh, night yeah. before. This <laughs> is Heinzman or whatever. Yeah. Which is another fun note we'll get to later. But yeah, so she so the night before she was like being kind of pissy about like Anna missing like one pair of shoes or something like that. Um, so she's been turned into a zombie. She's wandering around the bowling alley. Um, you know, Steph, you know, tries to handle her. Um, but the ensuing sort of altercation alerts other zombies um the like i guess it was a a a stag party from the night before (laughs) who were in the bowling alley like basically until close are still there and are now zombies as well (laughs) and they're wearing their like christmas sweaters that say like groom groomsmen Mm -hmm. you know that sort of thing so a fight breaks out um and it's pretty fun the way that they use the environment of the bowling alley for it there's you know a scene where a zombie gets their head cut off by like the the thing that comes down to push the pants that's good um and there's some other you know they play with the slippery lanes um that you have with the bowling balls and that sort of thing um <laughs> but basically you know they they have a whole fight and realize oh okay so this is going to be like a a, a thing um they get out of the bowling alley and decide to to head somewhere else um and they run into somebody in their their travels yeah so as they're sort of trying to get to the school and you know because that's the evacuation point meeting point or whatever um they are kind of are beset upon by a group of zombies, but they're saved from these zombies by Nick and his posse, um, who by all appearances have been having an absolute blast over the past two days, um, fucking up zombies and killing them. And they um, start to do some looting and- um, Minor looting. Yeah. And um, Nick, uh, he this is when he sings his sort of like uh, macho man song, soldier, I'm a at soldier war. in a war. <laughs> and he's like, "Oh, I'll protect you, uh, Anna and Steph." You know, and there's a lot of digs at John because they don't like each other, um, and. Uh, kind of while Nick and his group are singing and killing zombies, like Anna and everyone else are like, 
okay. And then they like, <laughs> run away a bit more <laughs> um, to, you know, continue making their way to the school. Um, and then we get this moment, um, you know, kind of like a, um, during a reprieve where Anna and John are talking about, you know, the plans that they had had for their lives post-graduation. I'm like, well, what does that mean now that seemingly the apocalypse has come? And, you know, and I was like, we're still gonna get out of here. And um, there's this really nice moment, I feel like that happens where without it becoming cheesy or without them actually saying it, mm -hmm. they have a conversation about John's feelings for Anna. Yeah. No, I thought that was very well done where she was just like, you're my best friend. He's like, yeah, I know. And she's like, no, you're my best you're my friend. Best friend. Yeah. And it's like, it's so much about like what's not said, mm -hmm. you know, that it's just, I don't know. It's, it, I thought it was well written and, and well acted. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, so um, they're sort of in like, I guess the main thoroughfare of their town at this point. And um, they come up to the big uh, Christmas tree um, lot. Well, it's inside. So it's more like a emporium store or <laughs> situation. Yeah. And to save time, they decide to cut through the store. Um, but while they're in there, they end up getting ambushed by some dead customers who are, of course, now zombies. And um, all three of Nick's friends are killed in the slaughter. Um, and they sort of like escape into, I guess, like, I don't know if it's like the back of the store or like a connecting building, but they think they're like, okay. It's like a weird... It almost seemed like a courtyard, but then also like yeah. a warehouse. Like I wasn't really sure. Like it's not, it, like some kind of strip mall connector. The geography is not super clear, but um, it's at this moment, sort of like in a moment of relaxation, it turns out they're not safe and John gets bitten in the hand by a zombie. Um, and the group is, ends up sort of getting split, Nick, and Steph are on one side of this like horde of zombies, Anna and John are on the other. And since he has been bitten, um, John like grabs Anna and like shields her to barrow through the zombies and to throw her onto the other side to safety and basically sacrifices himself to the zombies to give her uh, a chance to escape. Um, which obviously uh, devastates Anna um, as she watches her best friend die. Um, but it does allow for the three of them to get out of the store, mall, downtown type area um, and get to the school. Um, and so what happens once they finally reach the school? So when they walk into the school um you know and at this point the army is also zombified like they're just wandering oh yeah around. Yes. um and they walk into the you know the front you know reception area i assume the administrative office area and they see savage like eating <laughs> which at first when i saw it i was like oh my god he's eating people but right. no, i guess he, he was like, just 
Yeah, he's like eating, and I guess he was just eating. He's like, I'm, you know, they ask him, they're like, what the fuck are you doing? And he was like, <laughs> my Christmas dinner. <laughs> like, it's very, it's, it's very, um, sort of vaguely threatening that, like, if it had turned out he was eating people, I would have believed it. Yes, yes. Um, I wouldn't have been surprised. So he, yeah, because he's like there with like his napkin tucked in and he's like cutting and chewing, you know, so he's doing this whole thing and they're like, what the fuck? Um, <laughs> so, you know, they asked to see their family, like, you know, everyone who's here and Savage is like, okay, and he takes them over to a room where he opens the door and lets them in and then shuts the door behind them. And it turns out he has let the zombies uh, into the school. Um, I don't know the exact, I guess he thinks it would like, like suss out the week where he's thinking if they're occupied, they won't come after him. Yeah. He's like clearly become unhinged. Yeah. So he's let them in. So now they're trapped in like this, like cafeteria. Um, with the zombies um and basically you know they're trying to keep quiet trying to find a way out and savage like blows a whistle to like alert the zombies and um they obviously get into a brawl um at this point um they split up steph like goes to see if she can find her car to like have a getaway Chris speeds off to look for Lisa and his grandmother and then Anna and Nick are together for a bit until Nick um, kind of does his own, you know, sacrifice uh, for her so she can find her dad, but not before kind of having a little bit of a heart to heart where, you know, we find out that they had had a um, one night stand and like, I guess it got out in school and she kind of like developed a little bit of her reputation from that and he says, you know, he wasn't the one who said anything about it like he never told me one that that it happened which also like i'm like who did like was it John? right like is this like this is a little nefarious but um basically the point of this is you know we realize nick is you know a nice guy like he talks about um you know the hardest thing he had to do is like he had to um his dad got bit and he had to kill his dad and his dad like we get the sense that he probably was like abusive or a little bit of a bully to him um with the way that that scene played out but basically you know this is like Nick's humanizing moment and he goes to take on the zombies while um Anna rushes off to find her dad and you know we're not sure what happens to him at that moment um so Chris finds Lisa and his grandmother hiding in like a closet like a janitor's closet type deal yeah Um, And unfortunately, Chris's grandmother, who had a heart condition, as we've learned earlier in the film, has passed away. And, you know, Lisa's very distraught. She'd been trying to, like, you know, help her and protect her. And she's very distraught for Chris. And, you know, he's upset. And, um, you know, that sucks. Um, But, you know, they're trying to sort of, I guess they're, like, trying to get the, they're with Steph, who's like trying to get into the office. Yeah, they need to get into Savage's office to get her keys back. To get her keys. And while she's doing that, they're in the room. They realize that the zombies can sort of be distracted by watching TV. Um, and uh, so they're like flipping the channels and sort of keeping the zombies like occupied uh, while Steph does that. But Basically, you know, 
they end up uh, getting attacked by the zombies while Steph makes a break for it. Like they kind of get separated amongst, like it's kind of like the floor is lava. Yeah, I I thought that. Yeah. Yeah. So like Steph ends up on the correct side of the room Mm -hmm. with like the sort of frogger Mm -hmm. type situation with the zombies and um, Chris and Lisa basically, you know, tell her to go. They stay, um, you know, they kind of have a, a moment together where they sort of like reaffirm, you know, that they're in it together and it's going to be okay. Um, and unfortunately, the next time we see them, they uh, are have a very, like, I think about, the, this is like one of the more like heartbreaking, I think, scenes where they're like, you know, they're zombies. They pass each other. Yeah, they pass each other and they try and like brush their hands together and that sort of thing. And I wasn't that a good if it was um but Steph gets away is yeah. the important thing there um yeah and then Anna um eventually finds Savage who is like fucking like tied up her dad with like garland and other shit yeah. on like the the stage of the um the like Christmas pageant <laughs> yeah like he's going full maniac. So he's t- he's got like a thing, like a vendetta against your dad. Like I don't. It was kind of hinted at earlier in the film where he like makes comments to Anna like about how her dad cleans the toilets or something like that. Like yeah, it's this weird like classist thing going yeah. on. So she shows up and he's there, and they basically kind of have their big sort of like scream to standoff where the zombies come in, <laughs> and Anna's you know getting them with her you know like the the spike candy candy cane cane ornament that is kind of like the i guess the the cover or the the poster um weapon um you know and she eventually sort of they have this standoff where she and savage like kind of have a you know a verbal spar about how he's an asshole and you know he has a great song um he had, I think it was earlier. Um, he had his song about how much he just fucking hates. Everybody. Oh yeah, his solo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, eventually, what happens is is Anna and her father overpower Savage, kind of toss him to the zombies, and he has this sort of manic, you know, somewhat uh-huh. happy, somewhat uh-huh. deranged response as he's like eaten alive. Um, but then we find out that Anna's dad was bitten um in the process so he sends her off um well you know he stays behind um and nick appears um and you know says hey we gotta go we gotta ride out of here um so she and nick take off and they meet steph who pulls up with her car she has some kind of like quippy one line that's pretty good but yes it's like saved your life (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah she pulls her she's like saved your life um and they get in and uh they drive off the three of them drive off together into the sunset into the sunset the three survivors yeah yeah where are they gonna go we don't know but they are getting out of town mm-hmm. um, which is what anna wanted so yeah so that um so let's we'll do a roll call for the who 
is uh, acting in the film and we'll do some thumbs ups and thumbs down. Um, so in billing order, we've got uh, starring Ella Hunt as Anna Shepard. Um, thumbs up or thumbs down for yeah, her? She's great. Yeah, I think so too. Um, she, she plays the alt girl without playing the alt girl, you know? Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's very balanced, very believable. Um, very charming. Um, she, before this movie, she had been an intruder. She has a small part in Les Mis. She was in Robot Overlords. Um, after this, she would go on to do The More You Ignore Me. And uh, she currently has a recurring role on Dickinson hmm. um, on Apple TV. Um, next up is Malcolm Cumming as John. Yeah, I mean, he did the good sort of... Um best friend yeah like that exact character like the best friend who's in love with the main yeah like he nailed that and he had he had some really good deliveries throughout that i really liked like i was i was cracking up when they're in the ball pit yeah him and chris and he's like tay tay's fine tay tay's (laughs) fine why would you even say that she's fine (laughs) well what was the the scene where they're like doing fuck Mary kill yeah <laughs> but he goes to the like they're like well i'm gonna marry so-and-so they're like oh my god you're gonna kill rihanna he's yeah, like did i say that yeah steph's like well i'd marry beyonce he's like why would you kill rihanna she's <laughs> like i didn't say that he's like well obviously you're gonna shag miley <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's he had some good his comedic timing was good mm-hmm. um uh, before this movie, he had mostly done like some short films, uh, a TV movie called Dash, and he's currently on a new um, BBC show called Murder Island. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, then we have Sarah Swire as Steph North. Um, good. I also say thumbs yep. up. Yep. Um, also some some funny moments. She also had really good. They gave her all the sort of like riffs. Yeah. Um, in the in the musical numbers. Yeah, especially in human voice. Mm-hmm. She gets to do the fun vocal work. Yeah. Um, you can check her out in God Help the Girl. Uh, after this, she went on to do Impulse. And um, I think she had a recurring role on Murdoch Mysteries. This makes me think she's probably Canadian and not American. Like the character is American, but I think but the actress she is She might be a Canadian. Yeah. yeah. Uh, then there we get a double billing uh, for Christopher Laveau as Chris and Marley Sue as Lisa. Um, I think both fine. Mm-hmm. Um, Laveau's other credits, he's in 1066, Forgotten Man. Uh, after this movie, he did Departure. Uh, Sue was in Run, Our Ladies. And right now she's um, got a supporting role in the Alex Ryder TV series. Oh, the kids love those books. Yeah, they really do. Um, then we have Ben Wiggins as Nick. I thought he was great. <laughs> I thought he was good too. He really made me laugh. <laughs> um, good for sort of that archetype of, you know, the douche who has mm-hmm. a heart of gold and that whole arc um, that's not particularly unique, but he he played it well. Yeah. Um, he was in uh, the movie Mary Queen of Scots. He also had a role on the Pennyworth television series, and uh, he has a small role in The Witcher. 
Um, then uh, Mark Benton gets the with in the credits, in the credits, sorry, as uh, Tony Shepard and his father. Um, I think good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he didn't really have too much to do. I mean, he was this sort of. He didn't have too much to do. Uh, Benton is a fairly well-known uh, British character actor. He has, he has a long list of credits. Uh, some of his bigger stuff was The Second Coming, Early Doors. Um, he's in The Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus. And uh, he was just on that uh, show, The Nevers. Um, and then uh, we finish out the main cast with Paul Kay, who gets the and um, as Arthur Savage. Um, who I think is having the most fun yeah. in the cast <laughs> and uh, is probably my favorite performance in the film. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Paul Kay, uh, another um, actor with a very long career in TV, film, stage. He actually plays apparently a zombie in Shaun of the Dead. Huh. Um, he's in like the scene when they finally get to the Winchester pub and there's mm -hmm. all of them like kind of in the back apparently he's one of those zombies huh good for him yeah speaking of apparently um oh wait no that was something else never mind oh okay <laughs> but uh yeah paul k i mean lots on his resume he was in lilyhammer jonathan strange and mr norell three girls good omens the stranger the watch and probably his biggest role that most people will recognize him from uh, he was on Game of Thrones, where he played Thoros of Mir. Thoros of Mir. Thoros of Mir. Uh, the Red Priest. Um, and then, just real quick, other members of the cast include Sean Connor as Graham, John Winchester as Tibsy, and Ian Bennett as Jake. Those are all of Nick's friends. Um, Ella Jarvis as Katie. Ruth Magai as B, Chris's grandmother. Janet Lawson as Mrs. Heinzman from the bowling alley who gets beamed in the head with a shoe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Christy Strain as Miss Wright. I believe she's the teacher that stands up to Savage. Mm -hmm. um, Tyler Collins as the groom from the bowling alley. Uh, Callum McCormick as the zombie Santa. And then Fenway Morgan and John McGeechee as the penguin students in the talent show. Gotcha. Okay. It's like who? <laughs> yeah. My favorite is this fish, mother flipper. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, so we actually, we, we just, uh, speaking of Mrs. Heinzman, um, would you want to tell us the fun little facts that we stumbled upon? Yeah. So the Mrs. Heinzman, you know, who I don't think they say it in the Maybe they say it for a second, but basically her credited character name, Mrs. Heinzman, is a nod to Bill Heinzman, um, who played the graveyard zombie at the very beginning of Night of the Living Dead. Yeah. Um, so that's fun. That is fun. Um, of course, we mentioned Thoris of Mir, Paul Kay's character from Game of Thrones, um, <clears throat> who also meets a grisly fate. Uh, and that show where he is, spoiler alert, killed by um, whites, which are basically zombies. Um, he's killed by the bear, right? Yeah, he's killed by a zombie bear, but yeah. still a zombie. Yeah, man. Um, oh, yeah, you found, do you... <laughs> Yeah, so there's a, there's a scene where there's this online person, like an influencer, 
who's like doing hashtag evac selfie, who's like taking selfies with different, um, and I think it's actually one of the writers is like the face of this character. Oh, that's good. Um, it's either one of the writers or the director, but it's somebody is the face of this person who's taking selfies with all these zombies that have been killed, I guess. But the, the name of the influencer, the person who's doing this is Ash Campbell, um, which is a nod to the Evil Dead franchise as a mashup of Ash Williams and Bruce Campbell. Yeah, which I didn't catch, actually. Yeah. I didn't see like the names when they were scrolling by. So that was pleasant. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and I love uh, Steph's reaction when she's like, we deserve to die. Or doesn't she say something about like, we deserve to go extinct? Yeah. 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 So that was funny. Uh, yeah. And then actually in terms of cameos, um, during the scene at the talent show, when Lisa sings with the Naughty Santas, the piano player is actually the, uh, the composer, Tommy Riley. There's something else where they did that. Um... I forget what what show it was, but there was a show uh, where basically the piano person, like in the show, was the person who did the music for. I forget what it was. It'll. I don't. You know. I'm sure they do it with so many different things, but there was something that like sticks in my brain as like this is a thing that people do sometimes, where like the person who writes the music also doubles as a sort as of in, in yeah. yeah. I cannot. I would think, think that it. that would maybe be like a fairly common, fun thing to do. Yeah, I can't remember what what it was, but it's, there's something. But yeah, no, that's that's always fun. Yeah, it's cute. It's cute. Um. So yeah. So Anne and the Apocalypse initially premieres at Fantastic Fest 2017 on uh, September 22nd. It then goes on and it does a showing at uh, Sitges in Spain on October 5th. Um, but it doesn't get a big release uh, in 2017, but in early 2018, it gets picked up for its um, North and Latin American distribution by Orion Pictures. Um, And they schedule a limited theatrical release uh, for November 30th of that year, 2018, followed by um, not a wide release, but a nationwide expansion on December 7th. Um, so I, I believe it only played, yeah, so it only ends up playing in five theaters in the U.S. and Canada, um, where it grosses $52,588. Um, its worldwide box office comes in at um, almost $850,000. Um, I couldn't find what its budget is, mm. so I'm not sure how it did in that regard, um, but we do know that, that what is, it's gross. Um, the film currently has a Rotten Tomato score of 77% from critics and 62% from the audience, a Metacritic score of 63, an IMDb rating of 6.1, and a Letterboxd rating of 3.2 out of 5. Um, do you agree or disagree with any of those ratings? Do you think it'd be higher or lower? I don't think it's fine. I think those are all sort of like for their various, I mean, I am... DB is always a crapshoot, but like for the various um, sort of uh, ranking schemes, I feel like those are like average to above average. Yeah, I think that's more or less right. Um, Positive reviews of the film have noted the fresh take on the zombie genre, um, the fun mashup of different kinds of genres, you know, Christmas movie, musical, zombie. 
the likable and readable characters and the fact that the film has a lot of heart to it. Um, and some of the more critical reviews cited the self-reflexive writing as a weak point and um, said that there was a lack of conflict in the movie. Mm -hmm. Besides the zombie conflict. Besides the zombie conflict, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm not particularly bothered by either of those two things. No, I think there's, I, I'm fine with there being a mostly external conflict. I mean, I also yeah. think there is an internal conflict that's set up, you know, we meet these characters in their worlds. We have Anna's, I think, many internal conflicts that she has with her interpersonal relationships yeah. that continue to play out as the external conflict um, takes place. Yeah. Well, and there's so many like sort of little details and moments of tension that don't even necessarily like get completely fleshed out, but that add a lot of flavor. Mm -hmm. Like um, there's that moment between Anna and Steph where, you know, Steph brings up that her parents are in Mexico and then makes a crack about Anna's mom. Yeah. Anna's mom. Yeah. And that you know, causes Anna to storm off. And it's like, oh, okay. Like, so there's something yeah. interesting there. Yeah. Anna's mom maybe left or died or, you know. I and think they we just find out that she, she passed away. Yeah. And it's not like, it doesn't have a huge bearing on the plot. It's not something major that we need to come back to, but it adds flavor. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I could see somebody wanting more of that to be fleshed out, but I also think it works as is. Um, I, like I, I believe all these characters where they are. Um, but yeah. teach their own, I guess. Yeah. Um, so we'll do a little bit of analysis of uh, the film. Nothing crazy, but you had some um, interesting points I thought that's worth bringing up. Yeah, so I mean, I think for whatever reason, like amongst types of films and specifically in horror films, um, like zombie films like tend to be very self-reflective of the time. And I don't know if that's just because of, you know, what Romero kind of started um, with his film or like just the nature of the genre in general. But like, you know, you have Romero who, you know, ends up however inadvertently making a statement um, yeah. with his film, you have, um, like Shaun of the Dead making a statement about like, you know, when we watched it, we actually watched it in my film class in tandem with like Fight Club as mm. like talking about like the 90s white male crisis and like what that was saying about it. So I feel like, you know, zombie films naturally, um, you know, lend themselves to like, what are we reading about this? Who are the zombies? You know, what do, what do the zombies represent? That sort of thing. And I think it's like, I don't, you know, you could pick apart why that is, but thinking about it in that way, with this, I kind of saw it, and maybe this is like a post-pandemic mind, uh, but it was kind of interesting to see like, okay, like here's basically Gen Z responding to a um, apocalyptic crisis, you know, an yeah. extinction event. And here is, you know, you have Savage who represents, you know, the powers that be basically adults, um, you know, like not necessarily a specific generation, but like, the people in charge and you know like he's taking a very cynical tone you know he's saying you know we prior you know we have to prioritize you know we have to triage and um we have to do it this way whereas you know Anna and all the teens are kind of like very much always in a unit you know they're always trying to find other people you know work through things 
um, mm -hmm. as a group, many of them are, you know, sacrifice themselves for each other at different points to sort of like keep the, the chain of, um, you know, survival going and that sort yeah. of thing. Um, they very much use technology to their advantage at different times. Like at one point they're using the camera phone as a way to basically like peek around corners um, and that sort of thing, you know. They use Chris's films at one point to sort of distract the zombies and that sort of thing, which um, is interesting because earlier in the film, I think Savage makes a comment about like kids tweeting or something like that. Yeah, because he's, you know, doing that classic like, uh, you and your stupid, you know. Media. Yeah, so I was definitely reading it as like, oh, this is like an interesting take on like, yeah, like this is what you know, like, and you know, like what teen or young adult doesn't love, you know, like a story about a teen and or young adult, um, you know, being, being right in the face of sort of like, um, something like that against a, uh, an older adult who, you know, thinks that they know better and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, no, I just thought it was very, it, it, you know, it's always interesting to, to look at zombie films and be like you know what is the context that that this exists in because it's something that gets so sort of um shuffled around and reused and reinvented that um you know it's, it's just fun to see you know like what is sort of the take on zombies today um and i think there's few um sort of movie monsters that have the same lifespan as uh zombies do but yeah so um that's my my rant about you know it might be you know splitting hairs or whatever trying to pull like in-depth analysis from this but i also think it's worth sure you know I, I don't think anything is created in a vacuum and um you know i like to stand up for the kids and their technology yeah they get shit on well, we got shit on they're now getting shit on so they're now getting shit on and the generation after them will get shit on and that's mm -hmm. just the way that it works yeah but I, I i do think there is something into that because we we see these moments i mean obviously we the three survivors are three gen z kids mm -hmm. but like their resourcefulness depends a lot on like the fact that they are from their age group like yeah. the way they use the technology to aid them you know they're um just being connected on their phones and their internet to figuring out what's going on and where they need to go when they use chris's movie to distract the zombies things like that mm -hmm. like yeah and you know if i was thinking of something analogous i would think even of like um you know obviously there's the pandemic but like even like just the, you know, the response to climate change, you know, yeah. like where you have these kids who are like, oh no, there's something crazy going on here right now. And then you've got Savage who's like, well, it is what it is. And I'm going to find the best way for me personally to live through it. Um, whereas you have this group of kids who are really banding together um, yeah. to try and save as many of their group as they can. Um, I just think it has larger implications. Definitely. I completely agree. Um, yeah, it's got layers. Maybe not yeah. like Mariana Trench deep, but yeah. there's something there. Yeah. yeah. 
So let's um, take a, a, a moment right now. You know, sometimes this question fits well with some of the movies that we cover. Sometimes we have to like stretch ourselves a little bit, but we call this segment One Good Scare. And uh, it's what we each feel is the most frightening moment of this film. And we are free to interpret that however we want. <laughs> I'm just putting that out there. Um, if you have one, go for it. If not, I can go first. Well, so for me, I guess what to me is most frightening besides like, I'm sure there was a random jump scare or whatever that probably got me, yeah. but like- um, Like at the end with the Santa? Yeah, that did get me. That was like <laughs> that was like a uh, like a YouTube viral ad. Yes, like move like the old YouTube ads for like the Evil Dead when it was coming. Mm -hmm. the I would just was say out. like the one they did for Evil Dead, the Evil Dead remake. Yeah, but um, no, I think what comes to mind because I knew it was going to happen because of the you know the way the camera was, what was happening. I was like, this dude's about to get bit when um John, John gets bit because I was like, well, they, you know, like that's just like, oh my god, that sucks. I'm like, cover your arm, right? Because he holds it out too long. Yeah, and I'm just like, lose the hand, cut off the arm. You don't yeah, need right? it. You can do it. You can make it. Um, but that in you know the scene, like I said earlier, where um. Again, these aren't scares. This is just like, I guess like to me, you could say this was a scare in that like it was the first time that I felt like instead of it being sort of a, a um, gimmick or like almost like a piece of scenery, like understanding like the implications of like how sucky something like, uh, you know, a quote unquote zombie apocalypse would be was mm -hmm. that scene with Chris and Lisa, you know, just pacing back and forth and yeah, trying that's... to grab each other's hands and um that was like oh yeah no that's that like to me that was like okay that's interesting and that seems terrible <laughs> yeah um so that you know and those were the moments where you know the emotional hit of the film I think really got me came through yeah, yeah. definitely I think yeah I definitely um I definitely had a decent emotional reaction um to Anna's reaction at John's death mm -hmm. um, when she's naturally like quite upset um, mm -hmm. and just how she reacts to that. And um, when sort of, you know, Nick is holding her back and he's like, he's gone, he's gone. And, um, you know, there's this moment where it seems that like, this is what's gonna be what breaks Anna. Mm -hmm. And then like Steph pulls her aside. She's like, hey, hey, you've got your dad. Right. Yeah. You know, and sort of like recenters her. I felt really emotionally connected to that sequence. Yeah. Um, and I guess like frightening, maybe watching like Savage starting to lose it, like at the school and stuff, mm -hmm. when he's trying to maintain this sort of like authoritarian control and that things are calm and, you know, we see that really cruel moment that we mentioned earlier that when he interacts with Lisa in regards to, you know, Chris's grandmother being sick and just thinking about all of the real life people like Savage who yeah. <laughs> make situations like that so awful. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so our next segment is the view from the closet. And this is where we just say, how can we view this film from an LGBTQ plus lens if we can? So there's several ways to do this. One is there's a one-off line that Steph has a girlfriend. 
Yes. Um, who we I never guess is like ignoring her calls or something. Like I don't. Are they in a break? Like I don't. Yeah, it's like is she ghosting Steph? Are she going to break up with Steph? Is she already dead because of the zombie apocalypse? Right. Um, I'm not sure. Which you know that's the low hanging fruit. I kind of was like, oh, like Steph and Anna should get together. Like I feel like there's chemistry. Yeah. There. Um, this is uh, maybe the survivors like Steph, um, Anna, and Nick will be like a thruple. A thruple. Yeah. No, I'd be down for that. Um, and then the other thing was I thought for the first like 10, 15 minutes of the film that John was closeted. Yep. But um turns out that's definitely not the case. yeah. When I saw it the first time, I was like, oh John's gay. And then it was like, oh, oh no, he likes Anna. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think those are mine as well. Yeah. And uh yeah. And, you know, you could make the argument here with the inclusion of a character like Steph and just having that kind of be almost backdrop at this point. It's like, that's just what Gen Z is. Right. They're all queer. Yeah. It's not like really, it's not super acknowledged by the other characters. Yeah. Like, not, no one, you know, makes a crack about her or anything. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, that's just who she is. Yeah. Uh, and, and, that, and that's yeah because they even when Nick is like making comments about he's like yeah we're gonna protect the, the ladies or the girls like he you know he rounds up Steph and right into that and I feel like in a different movie they would have like made a comment about Steph's sort of like gender non-conforming you know haircut and that sort of thing right but some um, like sort of like butch comment or something yeah. like yeah so yeah but, but that we don't we don't get any of that so yeah yeah um and then our last main segment is legacy legacy what is a legacy uh just quickly looking at um the impact of the film uh we mentioned the various cuts of the movies the u.s theatrical cut was released only on digital on february 12 2019 um then it was acquired by hulu and they uh streamed it for a period beginning november 13th of that year it was released on Region 2 DVD, which I believe Region 2 is Europe, mm-hmm. um, on April 8th, 2019, by Vertigo's Kaleidoscope Home Entertainment label. label. Um, <laughs> they also uh, later released a Region 2 two-disc Blu-ray on December 2nd, 2019, through Second Sight Films. Um, and on the Blu-ray, you can find the UK theatrical cut and the director's cut. And then the film was nominated for Best Independent Film at the Rondo Hatton Classic Horror Awards. It was nominated for the Audience Award at the Edinburgh International Film Festival. And it was nominated for Best Feature Film at the British Academy Scotland Awards, where Ella Hunt was also nominated for Best Actress. Nice. Yeah, no wins, but you know, some nominations, which is... um, which is nice. I'd like to see, you know, it's funny because I actually watched a video recently from um, Lindsay Ellis, uh, who's a pretty well-known like video, like essayist, um, but is also the author of uh, Axiom's End and Mm. the sequel that I cannot recall the name of. But she had a really good video about using cats as kind of a case study about why a lot of times... um, like live action musicals 
don't work very well, like when people translate musicals to film. Mm -hmm. um, and basically it was like, it has a lot to do with the suspension of disbelief. Because when you're in theater, yeah. you're willing to, you know, believe a lot more abstract things um, as representations. Whereas in film, like unless it's an animated feature, like, you know, your suspension of disbelief is, has a much higher bar. Um, so, you know, Cats just completely, you know. Throws that out of loop. It did what it did. But I was thinking about it with this where I was like, I think because of the high level of just like, you know, if you want to call it melodrama and the mixture of genres, like it was able to pull that off because it's like, well, yeah, it's a zombie Christmas, you know, like these two things already separately, I'm willing to suspend a lot of disbelief for. Yeah. You know, and on top of that, you're throwing in music. It's like, sure. <laughs> well, yeah, it was totally funny because like I was talking to my mom. Mm -hmm. and mentioned that we would be recording for our December episode. What are you covering? I was like, Anna and the Apocalypse. And she just started laughing. She was like, what is that? And I'm like, well, it's a zombie Christmas musical. She's just like, what? Yeah. And it got me thinking, you know, like, because on their own, those things, you know, already require certain levels of suspension of disbelief when we're putting them all together and then you give it a title like Anna and the Apocalypse. Yeah. Like your audience is primed to just enter this world and be like, okay, yeah. what you got for me? Yeah. Cause like, you know, and like I said, like, you know, it, it might've been a detriment that they didn't open with a musical number when they finally went into the first musical number, but I was just like, it took two seconds to be like, okay, musical continue. Yep. <laughs> mm -hmm. Go for it. So I think that's an interesting uh, place to tap maybe is a, uh, more campy horror musicals. I am down. I'm like, I'm kind of bummed that this hasn't kickstarted a noticeable trend. Mm -hmm. I mean, the musical in general is thriving right now. They're like this year in particular. Yeah. In the Heights, Tick Tick Boom, West Side Story. Mm -hmm. but I want my horror musical. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, maybe we'll give it a little bit more time and, and see if there's an Anna effect. Um, yeah, so we're almost ready to wrap up. Um, we're going to do our closing question now. Uh, and Miss Mel has one for us this time. What you got? So my question to you is, if you could see a horror film turned into a horror musical, which one would it be? <laughs> That's such a good question. Wow. Okay. Try and narrow it to like three. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Mm, okay. I, th I think I'm like, all right, what would be fun? What would be kind of funny maybe, but also like you could still keep the horror stuff there. <laughs> I'm going to say I would like to see the birds. <laughs> interesting as a horror musical because <laughs> what would that even look like you the know, ensemble I guess, birds that yeah are... you know i guess because i'm kind of thinking about like it would like Anna and the apocalypse like you know the birds are an external threat mm -hmm. you can just have them as window dressing and still do a lot of like interpersonal stuff with the characters mm -hmm. 
And I just think it would be funny to be singing about eagle <laughs> <laughs> birds. So I'll go with that. Okay. Um, how about you? <laughs> so I, this is probably like, I don't know if stereotypical is the, the word, but like I was thinking like, you know, my sort of prime musicals, what I like to see in a musical. And I thought of Scream for two main reasons. I almost One, said Scream. Because I think it would be melodramatic as hell. And like, imagine like the ballad, like the I want ballad that Sydney would Oh have. my God. Um, two, I like the idea of there being like a sort of, um, non-lyric musical sequence where Sydney and Ghostface like dance fight or like dance run from each yes. other. Um, um, I think that would be pretty cool. Oh my god we need this. Yeah so <laughs> if you're listening out there people with a couple million dollars. Please front this. Yes. Yeah. All right I like that one a lot. <laughs> and then like Stu and Billy's like villain song yeah where they confess everything it's like you know (laughs) (laughs) yes i'm into it yeah i'm thinking okay i'm like so where does act end i'm thinking like with the attack on the principal right Mm -hmm. yeah and then and then sydney has some sort of party dramatic like wailing like you know like dramatic like oh i can never escape yeah (laughs) you'd have like a kind of upbeat sort of um ballad duet with gail and dewey mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah no i can see it. if i had the ability to you know like understand music at all or I'd write, write yeah. lyrics i'd be mm-hmm. on it maybe tatum has a peppy song where she's trying to convince sydney to just forget it live your life and then that reprise happens when she gets killed when she's killed in in the garage yeah yeah i'm into it yeah so i am into it (laughs) all right well i think that is going to wrap up our discussion on anna and the apocalypse for episode 93 um if you have thoughts about uh this film or a potential scream musical, or uh, you want to share other horror holiday recommendations that you've discovered this season, please let us know. Uh, there's lots of ways you can do that. Ms. Mel, what are some of those ways? Um, so one great way is to tweet at us at splatterchatter666, minus all the vowels in the word splatterchatter, um, but searches will pop right up. Um, on Gmail, you can send us a, a good old email at splatterchatter669 at gmail.com. Um, good friend of the podcast, Miss Colleen, mans the Tumblr at splatterchatter.tumblr.com. And uh, we have an Instagram at splatter, I think it's just, or no, I guess it's splatterchatter666 because I had to change it. We added the 666. Yeah. <laughs> And don't forget, if you want to show us a little holiday charity this year, you can donate to our Patreon at patreon.com slash splatterchatter666 and get yourself some fun, cool rewards in the process. As we close out episode 93, if you're still jonesing for some horror holiday material, uh, do feel free to check out some of our other seasonal episodes, including episode 14, where we just sort of like briefly cover a bunch of different holiday films. 
uh, episode 58, where we cover the original Black Christmas, episode 59, where we take a look at Terror Train, uh, episode 74, where we both discuss and uh, tell each other some Christmas ghost tales. Um, you can pour some eggnog or some hot cider and listen to our seventh booze and booze episode where we watch all the creatures were stirring. Uh, or you can take a listen to um, our December episode from last year, episode 81, where we covered Krampus. Mm -hmm. um, for our next episode, uh, which will be our first episode of 2022, um, no topic just yet, but be looking for that. Sometime around. Me too. Yeah. yeah. So we'll have to chat. Be looking for that sometime around mid-January. Uh, until then, we're gonna close out 2021 and wish all of you chatters a very safe uh, and festive, uh, happy holidays. And of course, we will remind you to keep up the creep during all of your festivities. And for now, we'll say au revoir, adios, and hasta mañana.